Okay, we're reading from 1 John, and you'll find the, the text inside your leaflet. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Thank you, Richard. It's not you, it is cramped at the front here. Uh, Okay, let's get one thing out of the way first. Did you notice how many times the word love was in this passage? And that's how I say love. I'll I'll try and soften it a bit for you. Love, love, love. This was the first reading that Sharon and I read out in a church in Australia, and a couple in the front row giggled all the way through because we, we said love. Uh, our daughter Mib, when she was little, uh, you got a leaflet there with your reading on and stuff, but it's also got this tear-off slip. We also had those at our last church in Trinity Church, Brighton. And Mib, when she was little, would fill one out every, every day, every week, sorry. And he always knew it was one of hers because it always says, said it was from a cat, super cat in that case. But one week, though, she filled in the back as well with this question. And the spelling needs some work, but it says... How do you know God if you can't see him? Pretty profound question for her. I don't know what she was there, four or five. How do you know God if you can't see him? It's a good question, isn't it? And today's passage tells us God is love. 
But what kind of love is he? And how can we be sure God really does love us? So this, we're continuing this series we're called Summer of Love, looking at what the Bible has to say about love. And John, the author of this letter, he was one of the eyewitnesses who spent day in, day out with Jesus. Um, and he wrote down what he'd witnessed in what we call John's Gospel. If this apostle John is right in this letter saying that God is love, well, God's word in the Bible would seem a good place to start, wouldn't it, to get a handle on what love is all about. And a bit further on in, in this letter, chapter 5, verse 13, John tells us why he's writing this letter. It's always a good thing to try and work out when you're reading a letter in the Bible. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, who believe in Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing this letter to help Christians, those trusting and believing in Jesus, be absolutely sure that they have eternal life. Because their confidence has been not. Uh, there's been a load of people leave their church, um, this church that he's writing to. Because other people have convinced them that there's another way to God or there's something different they should be doing. Um, there are ways that have got nothing to do with Jesus, really. Yeah. Taught them different things. And it's got them feeling all sort of wobbly and unsure. So John's writing to reassure them. And by extension, to reassure us as followers of Jesus today that we can know we have eternal life because we believe in Jesus, because we belong to him. We can know that we've got eternal life because we recognize our sin, we're trying to turn away from it. And we can know because we love fellow Christians. So today we'll look at God's love and we'll look at our love for one another and joining the dots between the two, I hope they'll warm us up, like the summer warms us up, in our love, in our confidence that we have life after death. So in your leaflets is an outline, um, just telling you the stops we're making along the way, and they're spaced out on roughly how long I'm spending on each one. So first, God is love. John tells us something about God, and he tells us something about us. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So just think about this. A bit in that easy to take for granted, we can know God. So God isn't some impersonal force or energy God's not some unknowable truth that's so beyond us, the world's religions just point to it, but never really get there. No, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. We can know God. Now, not in a scientific way. So, for example, I can tell you things about people here. I can tell you Anthea used to be a radiographer, like I used to be. I can tell you Graham likes taking photographs. I can tell you Hilton likes rowing. I can tell you things about them, but that's not the same as knowing them personally, is it? What enriches our lives most is relationships. And we can know God relationally through Jesus. A relationship of love that's lived out in relationship with others. Looking forward to chapter 5, verse 1... 
of this letter, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So in this letter, uh, the Apostle John is always talking about love, and believing in Jesus, and loving one another all together. So when he says in verse 7, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, it's a specific love. It's a love to do with believing in Jesus that shows we are born of God. That is, we're given eternal life by him. So that's us. We're the everyone who loves, loving Jesus, expressed in loving each other. But what about God? God is love. God's fundamental nature is to love. Everything God does, he does in love. God's DNA, the fiber of his being, is to love. So putting us and God together, all followers of Jesus are born of God, who is love. So now our DNA is to love. The fiber of our being is to love. When John says, let us love one another, for love comes from God, he's saying, be true to who you really are now. As, as a child of God, be true to who you really are now with God's DNA. And the fact that we as church love one another the way we do, the way we're growing in love, gives us assurance that we are safe in Jesus. Conversely, if we don't love one another, we don't know God. And you don't want to get legalistic about this, but it does raise questions for us, for people who claim to belong to Jesus, but say they don't need to be part of a church. More about that later. So our second heading, this is love. Now in the first talk in this series, I identified there is lots of songs with love in the title. I thought of some more. Crazy in love. Tainted love. I would do anything for love. Will you still love me tomorrow? Songs we love. But how do we know what God's love is like? What is this love that comes from him like? Have a look at verse 9. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. See, our human love is uncertain, isn't it? It can be based on feelings. What if those feelings disappear? And even if we dedicate our whole lives to love, we're human and we love imperfectly. But we don't have to guess with God. If we want to know what perfect love looks like, we just look at Jesus, God the Son, and his death on the cross for us. God has acted in history so that we might live, so that we might have eternal life. You see, we can know God relationally, but we all have a love problem. We've all failed to love God as we should. He created us out of love. He gave us this world to look after out of love, to represent him and look after it. He lovingly gave us more than we could possibly dream of asking for. But we've all pridefully rejected his love, all in our own way, loving ourselves more than we've loved God. And we see that play out in relationships, don't we? Most painfully. 
Um, John Lennon, you've heard of him? John Lennon. Um, in 1971, him and Yoko Ono wrote Imagine. Uh, you probably know the words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You see what he's saying? He's basically saying, if we did away with the idea of heaven, hell, and God, we'd all be better off. John Lennon reckons if we live without God, we can live in peace. But three years earlier, you might know another Beatles song, Paul McCartney wrote, Hey Jude. And he originally wrote that song, his original version of it, when he was on his way to driving on his way to comfort Julian Lennon, John Lennon's son. And why did Julian Lennon need comforting? Because John Lennon, in his great experiment of peace without God, had left Julian's mum to have an affair with Yoko Ono. So for all his talk of peace, John Lennon, like the, I don't want to pick on him, like the rest of us, had done his fair share of not loving because he didn't know God. And we all know this world is not at peace. We know our lives without God are not at peace. And we all know that we're part of the problem. But God is love. Everything he does is motivated by love, including standing in judgment against our sin and evil and our rejection of him. So some people like to separate, I believe in a loving God, not a judgmental God. But God's judgment is part of how he loves us. Because God is perfectly fair. He's rightly against anything that goes against love. And that means he can't simply just let go any of our sin and evil and still be loving. He must be just and fair and true. He must love. So how can he love us and still be fair to those who, given that we so spectacularly fail to love him? Verse 10. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So atoning sacrifice there can also be translated propitiation, which we appreciate has just made it harder. That's a bigger word. But uh, what that is, it's a sacrifice which turns away God's right wrath against sin. Wrath isn't God losing his temper. It's his settled rightful stance against ill, evil. God loves us so much that he was willing to send Jesus, who himself was willing to be sacrificed on the cross to turn God's anger away. Jesus is God the Son, fully human, yet also fully God. So much so that Jesus could say, to know me is to know the Father. Jesus existed for all eternity, Part of who God is, Father, Son, Spirit. But he gave up his place in heaven for his place on the cross. And because Jesus had perfectly loved God, his sacrifice didn't have to turn away God's wrath for his own sin. It turned God's anger away for our sin. So in God the Son, Jesus, God's love for us turns away God's wrath for us. This is love in action. See, God's love is not just theoretical, not just emotional, not just internal. 
God's love is lived out in Jesus' other person-centered love, giving up his perfect life to save our sin-filled life. You don't have to guess with God. He's already done the ultimate act of love for you. This God you can trust. This love you can trust. Love doesn't start with us. It's God has already loved us, stepping in to deal with our love problem. Love doesn't start with us, but we do need to respond to his love. We do need to respond to his love. And we can stop breaking God's heart today. All any of us must do is trust and believe in him. Trust and believe in Jesus. God will do the rest. But trust and believe you must. And when we do believe, we're born of God and given love from God. It's a lived out love, our third point. A lived out love. So Miv asked at the start, didn't she, how can we know God if we can't see him? Well, followers of Jesus, Christians, our love for one another makes visible God's love in the here and now. Verse 11, since God loved us like this, we also ought to love God. Are you following along? That's not what it says, is it? I think that's what I would expect it to say, but that's not what it says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love, say it with me, one another. One another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. So if God's DNA is love, and he has done so much for you in in making you new, then that love overflows and spills out into love for one another. You can't see God, but the existence of this church, of any church, of the worldwide church, this hodgepodge mix of different people, all loving one another, in community, makes God's love visible. And not only that, God's love is made complete. So that's not saying God's love is lacking something and he really needs us, but it means God's love fulfills its purpose when we love one another. Christians loving one another is what God's love is for. Because when you stop and think about it, We're a bit weird, aren't we? I mean, if you look at what we do on a Sunday morning, different ages, different stages coming to life, coming together, um, week in, week out, we do our own sort of flash mob singing together. I mean, when else do you do that? Singing together. Um, We get the same book out every week and read bits of it and talk about it. So just looking at activity, it's really weird. But behind that activity, there are real relationships of love. When sinful people, like me, are transformed into people who will love and sacrifice for each other, it displays God's love to the world. And that's good for the world. It's good for us. And verse 19, it's God loving us that powers it all. God's love in us always works out in practical love 
for other believers. Verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Which begs the question, can someone be a Christian without going to church? I'm not talking about people like me who used to be a shift worker and often couldn't get to church and found other ways to fellowship, to supplement a lack of Sunday attendance. But I've met plenty of people saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. Well, John reckons you can't be a Christian without loving other Christians. You can't be a Christian without loving other Christians. And how are you ever going to love other Christians if you don't know any? But I'm preaching to the converted because you're all here. Sounds good. Good on you. How can we love one another practically? Well, let me say, as your pastor, my observation is that you already do very well. Thank you for that. So I've got a lovely problem every Sunday morning. You're also good at genuinely caring for each other. It's hard to shut you up at 10 a.m., isn't it? There's a beautiful buzz of conversation going, and it's hard to get going at 10 a.m. And I in some ways, I don't want to stop it. I thought, oh, let's, start, let's start at 10 past, but then that's unloving to everyone who needs to get away. So on we go. I don't want to stop our conversation, but I do want to sing in God's praises together and turn in our minds to him and to be loving to those raring to go at 10 a.m. And then you notice we have, we always, normally the kids are in for the start and then they go out and we have a say good day bit when we turn around and talk to each other. And if you're an introvert, that's probably the low light of your week. I imagine it's probably really difficult. Um, but we want to give people the chance to welcome new people. And we want to give parents the chance to be back here in time for the Bible reading. So those are small things and I'm just picking on them because I've always found this church to be very much evidence of God's love in action. So keep that up. We have the assurance of love, which leads us to love. And we also have the assurance that this is a live-in love. A live-in love. That's our next point. God doesn't love us like a distant relative who you might get a Christmas card from once a year. God's love is up close and personal. Verse 13, we live in him and he in us. And verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God... God lives in them, and they in God. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, your assurance is that you and God are living in each other's pockets. They say you don't really know someone until you've shared a house with them. Um, you get to know what they're like at their best and at their worst. And you share all sort of random moments, don't you, that you would never plan to build a friendship on these things, but like, Washing up, or arguing about the washing up, or arguing about what you're going to watch on telly. You wouldn't plan to build a friendship on those things, but those small things all add up. Sometimes profound things, often mundane, day-to-day things, but in the end, all valuable, all building relationship. And with God, we don't just live with him as if we're sharing a house. He lives in us. And it's not enough to say, 
God lives in you, to be accurate about how close we are with God already, right now, we must also say, you live in God at the same time. It's like the Bible's run out of language to say how close our relationship with God is. So verse 13, God is always present with us by his Holy Spirit, witnessing to us his presence and his love. God gave us his spirit in our hearts. And in history, verse 14, he gave us his son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. So adding the list together again, God's presence with us, his Holy Spirit in us, Jesus coming into the world to save us in history, means that verse 16 We know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So know and rely on God's love, not our own. We don't have to love to earn our way to God. We're already closer to God than we can imagine or even have words for because of his love. And it's dwelling in that love which helps us to love each other. And as we do so, love drives out fear. Our final point to finish now. Our love drives out fear. Verse 17. This is how love is made complete amongst us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So Jesus has promised he will return in person. This time it will be to judge, to lovingly get rid rid the world of sin and all that is unloving. Now the trouble is, we're all guilty of sin, aren't we? Even if we've dedicated our lives to loving, we know that we'll have to stand before God with lots of good loving deeds, yeah? but also plenty that we're ashamed of as well. But Jesus has done everything needed to have our record wiped clean, our sins forgiven, his sacrifice paying the price for anyone who will believe in him. On the other hand, if we reject Jesus, God must judge us to be fair and loving. God must judge us fairly on our own record. And that rightly gives us fear, the fear of facing God, who is love, knowing that we've not loved him as we ought. But if we know Jesus as our saviour, we have no fear. We know we're safe in Jesus, and we look forward to Jesus returning with confidence. There will be no punishment for us. So how do you feel about standing before God to be judged? Are you confident? Because you can be if you're trusting in Jesus. So I urge you, don't live your life in fear, running away from God's love because you know you don't measure up to it. None of us do. None of us ever will. All of us deserve punishment. But choose love instead. Choose to love God and love his people. If you trust and believe in Jesus, you've no need to fear punishment on the day of judgment. If you trust and believe in Jesus, God could not love you any more than he already does. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you any less.
Love drives out fear. So what can I tell Miv? How can we know God if you can't see him? Because of his love. God's love is self-sacrificial love, willing to give up everything to save us. And we've seen that in history in Jesus. We gathered here perfect God's love as we love one another. God loves us intimately, living in us and us in him. And God's love drives out fear of punishment because Jesus has won forgiveness of all our sin. God is love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you in Jesus. We don't have to guess if you love us. You've acted in history We can go and check it out for ourselves. And we can trust in Jesus and have his record of perfect love instead of our record of sin. So Lord, please let us be refreshed in that reassurance today. And please grow us in our love for each other, which demonstrates your love, which makes you known, which helps us have that sense of assurance. Thank you for the loving relationships already going on here. Help us to sort out any niggles or um, falling outs we've got in loving, self-sacrificial, other person-centered ways. I thank you that you are love. Amen.